Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network proudly presents to you the Trios Tag Team Champions of the World, the Masked Library Kevin Hellions, Sweet Maddie Treats, and the Educator of Excellence, collectively known as the House Show. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of The House Show. It is me, as always, Mr. Maddie Treats, and I am joined by my trios, tag team champions, my, my partners in crime here. Uh, to my right is none other than the educator of excellence. Educator, how are you doing today? You still holding up in the quarantine? Still holding up strong in the quarantine, still sending out my daily science lessons to my students in my school district and just trying to get through may and tiptoeing into june here um as we are ending the school year and starting to figure out plans for what the summer months will hopefully bring yeah what an what an odd um you know sort of uh graduation year this will be for for some of uh the kids that go to the school there uh graduating um, you know, no graduation ceremony, really. I mean, have they talked about that? Or are they doing like a Zoom thing? Or some, some school districts are toying with ideas of uh, using the local drive-in movie theater and doing kind of like a drive-up ceremony or doing a drive-through ceremony where um, families will be able to get out of their car and take pictures and, and one student at a time will drive up and then get out, go get their diploma on stage and be able to have quick photo ops. And then, you know, they'll be ushered out to leave and just cycling all the kids through, you know, certainly a, a more viable thing for smaller school districts where you have graduating classes of 40, 50, you know, 80 students. But when you're talking about larger school districts that we have a few, you know, a size schools in terms of sports where the graduating class is going to be 200, 300 kids, uh, I don't see how a drive-up thing would be, you know, very, very viable. Yeah, that's a that's a long parade to to, to be in. <laughs> very I mean, much so. Yes. <laughs> um, but of course, to my uh, left is none other. He is currently in Stairwell Studios, Mister <laughs> Kevin Hellions, the Masked Library. Kevin, how are you doing today? Oh, going great, going great. Yep, my new studios that I put up on my uh, personal Twitter feed there. I'm, it's uh, much like educator was saying, school not being in session. I have to entertain my kid, and much of the place has become a giant blanket fort. So if I don't want to be kicked out of the room in the middle of a podcast recording, this has become the best solution. Yeah, a question for you, Kevin. I know over the years you've had many jobs working at different places, and you've had some really mean bosses. Uh, so your full-time job, though, is a father, and Declan is your boss. So how does how does he rank as your boss? Is he one of your best bosses you've ever had, or? Yeah. Um. Let's. Geez. Wow. That's a that's a heck of a question. Uh, I would say, and, th- and this doesn't cover every boss because I'm actually uh, Facebook friends and yeah, online friends with a handful. But um, I would say for the majority, though, uh, he's more mature. Um. He uh, puts humans first which is uh, shocking and rare. Um, he's less racist and sexist than m- many bosses I've had. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's pretty good. And, uh, you know, I mean, he, he pays me well, too. He pays me about equal to what a lot of these other places did. 
Yeah, and you probably enjoy going to that work more than the other jobs you've had over the years. Uh, I mean, there's the same amount of tickle fights, but these ones are more fun. Okay, there you go. There you go. No crickets there, by the way. That was a good one. I liked that <laughs> one. Um, so we are talking In Your House 10 Mind Games. Now, guys, before we get into it, something's been weighing on my mind here, okay? This is our anniversary podcast. This is our 10th one. A lot of people early on said we weren't going to make it to 10. Well, we proved the doubters wrong. So, you know, I know we've been talking behind the scenes about some things, and I really want to... Um, I want to talk to just the, the guys at the Retro Network right now. Retro Network higher-ups. The CFOs, the CEOs of the Retro Network. We've been putting in a lot of time. We've grown the audience, growing the audience. When is the educator, the Mass Library, and myself getting our Joe Rogan money for this podcast? He needs to get paid. I mean, a hundred million for the Joe Rogan podcast. I, where's our cut of this? You know. Wait, who paid him a hundred million? Hundred million to go exclusive on Spotify. Spotify has a hundred million. Yeah, well, Spotify makes a lot of money, buddy. He just got paid more than every artist on there combined. That is true. That is true. Uh, so Retro Network, come on, let's go, let's go. Uh, welcome to Occupy House Show. <laughs> Uh, I actually, um, once you do the introduction, speaking of weighing on, on our minds, I have a question for you, Treats, about it, it comes up during the the opening when you tell us uh, where this event took place and everything. Okay. Oh, do you want me to do the introduction? No, I was getting ahead of you. Oh, like, okay. Whenever we get there, I've, I've ha- I had some and it's weighing on my mind about this as well. All right, cool. Well, just now the way I'm, that you put that reminded me. Yeah, now I'm just going to stall so I never have to listen to your question. Okay. Listen, there's plenty of stalling in matches we've watched over the course of this. That is true. That is true. That uh, was it. That that headlock between Razor and, and the one two three kid comes to mind. Oh boy. Uh, no, but in all honesty, yeah. uh, this is our tenth episode. Thank you guys for listening. I do want to give a special shout out to the Retro Network for. Um, giving us this opportunity to bring some wrestling content to the retro network. Uh, we appreciate it. Of course, uh, a lot of great stuff on there, not just our podcast, but other podcasts, uh, just, just really great stuff. So, so thank you guys. You know, um, yeah, this is the, uh, the 10th episode guys. Did you think we'd make it this far? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Uh, I'm glad it's given, uh, for me personally, just, just an opportunity to catch up with, uh, the both of you guys, because uh, we don't have the opportunity to certainly hang out uh, as much since we've, you know, obviously grown apart with our adult lives. But even now, more so, our, our get-togethers become fewer and fewer in between, especially now with uh, the current health crisis. So certainly, uh, this opportunity to, to keep up with you guys, and uh, I'm extremely appreciative of this. Uh, of being able to do this with you and I look forward to uh, the future pods we continue to work on together and I mean like Treats and I more so together and individually we have started and stopped so many projects over the years I think we've officially passed the amount of episodes Jump the Smarks went for yeah we have Jump the Smarks I think went 8 maybe (laughs) 9 and that was like almost 15 years ago now but but you know what it is these podcasts that we're doing they're like um 
you know, like a short event series for Netflix. You know, you just get the 10 and then we're done. So. Right. <laughs> you know, we're not broadcast. We don't have to go 22 episodes in the first season. So, but anyways, let's get going because I'm really curious what Kevin's going to ask me. Uh, we're talking In Your House 10 Mind Games. Uh, this took place on September 22nd, 1996 from the beautiful city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania um, at the Coors State Center, uh, which is now actually the Wells Fargo Center. Um, and the attendance, uh, pretty packed crowd, looked close to sold out 15, 15 grand, 15,000 uh, people there. Um, in the event. So, so Mr. Uh, library, you said you had a question. I do. I do. So it, it takes place in Philadelphia, 96, uh, as mentioned on our very first episode, the two of you were at the Syracuse one, um, which was like a year previous at this point. So New York and Pennsylvania are not that far apart treats. I had no idea you were at this. I had no idea you were live in attendance. I don't know why you've been holding this information back from us. I, I can't remember that I was there either. But I think I know, I, I, I think I know exactly where you're going because I have it written down. Let's get into it. Let me see. Let me guess. Okay. Let me just go through this. All right. So we start off mind games 10 with the, I already know where it's going. I know it. Um, we start off mind games, uh, you know, in your house 10 with of course the mankind, uh, HBK video. Also, um, the gold dust taker. It's kind of like a dual video kind of showing you, uh, your co main event and your main event. Uh, what did you, what did you guys think of that video? Anything stick out from it? Great as always with uh, WWF providing us a little bit of background history between uh, the competitors in the match, so that we have an idea of what to look forward to, and again laying that groundwork for uh, events to come later on in the evening. This has always been a thing WWF WWE does better than any other company WCW and ECW previously, even All Elite Now or TNA or Ring of Honor is these video packages. They've always done the best ones in all of wrestling. It gets you caught up. It gets you excited. They're like movie trailers. There's that infamous quote of Vince McMahon saying, we make movies. These are movie trailers, and they do a better job than anyone else ever has for it. I personally think they do a better job than UFC and boxing currently. Um, you know, the talent, you that. the talent that they have is, is incredible on these. Uh, but by far, this is my favorite logo we have seen so far with the computer skull and the mankind mask over it and mind canes written into the forehead. I absolutely love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, what did you guys think of that logo? It, it's a big head. <laughs> All right, moving on. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, like it's it, it's uh like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, like it's this giant head just so they could get mind games written across it and mankind's mask. Yeah, it's it's fantastic, and it's such a a mid '90s computer graphic. That's I think why I love it oh, so God, much. Yeah. Um, so we are greeted by Vince, Mister Perfect, and Jr. Um, really nothing. They're just kind of setting up for the show. But I think what Kevin was referring to are the signs that are behind that crew. Okay. I picked out two signs. Number one is Vince McMahon for God. I didn't know his term of God was up. Like I didn't know the election was going on where Vince could run for God. I'm confused what that sign was even about. Um, you didn't register to vote in the God primaries. <laughs> I did not. I, I voted for Backlund. So, um, <laughs> but I think what the what what you were re referring to, Kevin, is my favorite sign of all time. Is Hey Sunny, fat guys do it better. 
<laughs> I just I just assumed you were holding it. It's been no secret, of course, this uh, over the course of this podcast, that's your childhood crush. And then still to this day as you're resisting it. Yeah, so so I've uh, subscribed to Sonny's OnlyFans and I will be doing an in-depth <laughs> report on just I should do that actually. That could make some good content. Hopefully never mind. So anyways, uh, yeah, Hey Sunny, Fat Guys Do It Better is literally on there. I have an adults-only Patreon-exclusive post thread. I do. <laughs> you can throw it up there. All right, let's, let's do that. Uh, but let's, you know what's funny about this? I, we've noticed, you know, so far that has to be the best sign we have seen. But we are getting into that attitude era where we're going to see so many signs, you know, the, these early '90s, mid '90s ones, you didn't really see that many. Is that is that the Attitude Era, which had fans bringing more and more signs to the events? Like, who's who sprung that out? Was that like an ECW thing where they would have people bring signs? Was it like Sign Guy Dudley, or was he just kind of part of the culture at the time? I remember going to house shows in the late '80s and early '90s before. Um, I, I moved to the same city that you guys were from. And I personally, me, I, I would, regardless of whether or not I had floor seats or I was up in the rafters as, as a child, as a fan, I was always bringing a sign, uh, with me to, um, a house show. If you guys even remember, um, a house show that was in our city, um, when I was in 10th grade, I actually had that sign and it made the our local newspaper that yoko and owen rule sign for that local house show and i I, you know i was snapshot of me in 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 our local newspaper with a few other pictures of fans there so um i i think we're just getting to the point where yeah the attitude era is beginning and and now like the fans are seeing how that they can be represented and they're trying to get their quick two or three seconds on tv and you know whatever's eye-catching that could certainly get a quick pop from any of the fans at home that could see these signs you know and the creativity the fans were you know certainly given that opportunity to show what they're capable of so you know i hadn't thought of the ecw aspect of it though yes certainly there's always been signs but for the sheer amount the, the attitude arrogance where you can't even see people because there are so many signs there you had Sign Guy Dudley front row. I think one of the most famous scenes is Tommy Use My Sign when there's the stop sign hidden inside of it. And uh, like Educator was saying, him being in the newspaper for one, we all went upstate for a house show and uh, Sean Michaels brought my sign into the ring. This the same event that uh, Educator almost got beaten up by the Sultan. So there was always bringing signs, but yeah, it was kind of like, you might not hear me while you're in the ring, while you're calling spots, where you got a hundred other things going on, but you might see my sign. So yeah, it's absolutely a way to get noticed. And as you had the attitude era being more late teens, college age, you know, the audience you're going for, there's also a look at me, look at me thing for it. Yeah. And then I think of course, with the internet blowing up, you know, coming in the the late nineties, of course, that adds uh, probably gasoline to the fire of all the signs yeah. going on. Uh, but I also, Kevin, I like how you always sneak in that the educator and the sultan almost got into a fist fight. Every episode, you get it in somehow. Twelfth so. grade senior year, man. <laughs> so Eighteen year old almost gets destroyed by Rikishi during his sultan gimmick. <laughs> 
He right. would have too. He would have destroyed you. Oh, absolutely would have annihilated <laughs> me. Without a doubt. Oh, and I would have stole it like crazy. And he would have <laughs> and he would have done it for the rock, so I would Always have done it there. for the rock. Yeah, that's right. Let's get into the first match on the card. Uh, we got Justin Hawk Bradshaw with Uncle Zebakaya uh, taking on Savio Vega in a Caribbean strap match. Uh, funny thing about this was Savio Vega literally just wrestled on the free for all, uh, and they shot an angle and then they brought it into uh, the pay per view. Um, you know, Kevin Kelly uh, does an interview with Savio uh, before it, kind of explaining everything. Uh, there, there's a lot going on in this match. Let me just kind of run down. Of course, we got Harvey Whippleman as the ref. Uh, we got the ECW wrestlers ringside. We got Sandman, Dreamer, and Heyman like sitting front row during this match. Um, and then, of course, the ending of this match, very similar to the Caribbean Strat match we saw like two episodes ago uh, with the um, Savio versus Stone Cold. So so what did you guys think of this match? How did you guys like the um, introduction of the ECW, kind of the little uh, business agreement partnership that they had going on? Um, you know, what did you guys think of that whole um, whole segment, whole match? Whatever. It was interesting. It was interesting how Vince on commentary tried to cut brush it off or his way of handling it to so that the viewers at home had an idea of what was going on. Certainly everybody in the crowd had a very good idea of what was going on. This being a Philadelphia crowd, but, but even prior to that, um, just a couple of notes, um, Justin Bra- uh, Hawk Bradshaw with Zebekiah, um, his initial run. I, I really liked this particular gimmick that he had this rough, tough Texan uh, cowboy Texan. So on. Um, we remember the JBL character from the towards the end of his career, um, and you know he had very similar tights at the beginning. I, I don't know if you gentlemen remember. Do you remember his leg being wrapped as much, having knee problems, and having that much of a visible brace at the end of his career? I know it would be easier to hide during his acolyte and APA run when he was wearing the longer tights, the black tights, but. Um, in his initial singles run, I, I just I forgotten how very obvious and pronounced uh, uh, an apparent leg injury or a brace that he had for you know to protect his knee was. Loved the entrance music. I just his version of that entrance music. I just huge huge fan of that. Um, the Savio running down to the ring and the and Whippleman starting the match before Savio was even like had his wrist into the cuff of the strap and uh, Bradshaw just whipping and whipping and whipping him. And I thought it was just a great intro kind of get that hardcore element, which is probably why this particular match was kind of added. Uh, Cause I don't believe that this was originally adver advertised as a part of the regular card. Uh, it was just kind of a last minute ad. I truly believe to because of the whole hardcore element where we were, um, the idea of, of the involvement of the ECW wrestlers, you know, in particular Sandman spitting the beer on Savio Vega at ringside. Paul Heyman is kind of holding Sandman back. Tommy Dreamer is just still sitting front row as if nothing's going on. He's just watching the match. And then when the agents come down uh, to escort or get the ECW guys out, that's when, you know, Tommy Dreamer becomes a little bit more active. 
Uh, you see a cameo of Bruce Pritchard and Jerry Briscoe before they became uh, more uh, on-air role. Well, I mean, Pritchard certainly with the Brother Love gimmick, but now you're seeing his behind-the-scenes role as one of the main agents and, and sidemen uh, for uh, Vince McMahon running the company. And you got uh, Briscoe coming down there as well to break all that up. Um I think this really took away from the action of the match because a lot of people in the crowd were certainly focused on the ECW guys uh, until they were finally removed from from site, removed from the building, whether or not they were brought backstage or completely kicked out. Uh, I'm not too privy to that. Um, the match itself, I just back and forth of these guys and their supposed attempts to drag each other around the ring. I was always under the premise that you had to physically touch the, the uh, turnbuckle with your hand, but mid match Savio kind of kicked the turnbuckle for one of his attempts of getting three out of four buckles. Um, what we have been so accustomed to because we're familiar with the Justin Hawk Bradshaw character and JBL, the clothesline from hell that we see, he uses it in the match the crowd was just absolutely dead for it. The announcers were initially absolutely dead until JR finally chimed in about you know how much power there was, or that was a heck of a clothesline. Um, the the finish to the match, the camera is paying is focusing attention to Bradshaw touching all the turnbuckles. I, I didn't even know that Savio was apparently touching the turnbuckles behind uh, Bradshaw until after Bradshaw had already hit the third turnbuckle and was going for his third. And then all of a sudden you see Savio touching the third and Whippleman putting his hand up. Yup, you're three to three. And then the finish of, Sa of Savio getting whipped into that fourth corner because Bradshaw supposedly didn't know that he had already touched the other three for that quick finish. Um I don't think this particularly holds up as well as the Caribbean strap match that he had with Steve Austin earlier in the year. I think there was a whole other storyline with the whole ECW involvement that was really the purpose of this particular match, but certainly was there to have a little bit of that hardcore element here being in you know Philadelphia. Yeah, you can't separate Philadelphia and ECW from what's going on here. And... The, it was absolutely planned, of course. You don't have three very um, well-known wrestlers for a different promotion sit in the front row. And I found the free-for-all for this one. They're sitting front row during the free-for-all as well. They could have been thrown, if it wasn't planned, which of course it was, but if it wasn't, they could have been thrown out at any time. They could have been asked to leave at any time. Something could be done at any time. So this is all set up. It remind, it's much like an ECW pay-per-view was where we know like two or three matches, but we don't know the rest of the card. And it just seems to like organically happen of like, oh, these two guys get into it. Why don't you have a match now? And then this happens. So here's this other match too. So Savio Vega already wrestling previously going into making this match and then it's starting. It's just like this exciting pace to it. It's absolutely like, hey, we need this ECW spot to happen at some point. Who's willing to give up a match that you will not be the focus of? You know, well, probably the new guy in Savio who just seemed like he would do anything, like a good company guy. Um, JBL, Justin Hawk Bradshaw at this point, a lot of uh, gimmick changes and adjusting his name. Um, but I think they missed on a golden opportunity here 
thanks to Savio Vega calling him a stinky cowboy. Really think they should have gone with that. You know, maybe some Justin Hawk Bradshaw stinky cowboy shirts. <laughs> can see you're too on your eyes. Um, <laughs> the the camera angles are awful for a Caribbean strap match. Part of it, if you're there live, you can see everything. If you're not, you need good, good camera angles on this to build up the tension to see people touching, you know, the corners, the turnbuckles. It's just not well done here at all. And it takes away so much from the match. Yes. The ECW fight and all this other stuff, like there's a lot going against the match, but the ending could have been great if it was filmed better. And it really fell apart. It's also weird to have two Caribbean strap matches, like a specialty match, so close together. But I think at this point, NWO is hugely popular. All right, let's have a violent match, even though we just did it. Let's bring in an invading wrestling group, much like they had some invaders. Let's bring in ECW as our invaders. You know, let's, we're at the let's try anything and see what sticks and see what gets the fans' attention. Um, it's a shame. It was a fine match, but between everything, it just it doesn't come across well on camera at all. Also, I kind of wonder if Sandman was already drunk at this point. Like Dreamer just doesn't care. Paul Heyman's there as like Sandman Wrangler, like keeping him under control. But I kind of wonder if he was like, "Paul, screw this. I'm tired of sitting here. I want to go home." We could just do it now. Yeah, there was like when Sandman was initially involved, Dreamer just sitting there with his arms outstretched over the other chairs, just apathetic. And then he doesn't like get get involved until like the agents start to run down ringside and wrangle them up. And Dreamer in the in his like getting all puffed up and fired up, he's focusing either on his watch or some kind of wristband. He's looking at that. And then finally he tries to pretend he's trying to rush over the guardrail and, and talk smack to Savio Vega. Um, it didn't seem like Dreamer was at all interested in participating or being there, but certainly did the due duties of the company because he was one of the higher ups involved with that particular, with, with the ECW organization. Educator, at this point, Sandman and Dreamer, were they both heels in ECW? Or Dreamer I mean, definitely wasn't. Dreamer definitely wasn't, and we're talking 96 at this point. Sandman is a face. Uh, he's just come off a feud with, with Raven over the World Heavyweight title, or might be currently still feud. I think he's still feuding with Raven right now over the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. So... ECW had two faces attack Savio. Correct. Just uh, does. I always wonder about that because it doesn't make sense to me. But that's that cult attitude at ECW that Paul Heyman did as a character and in real life. It's us versus them. You could have had it be two people that were feuding the previous night on an ECW event. And it would have made sense of like, yeah, but they might hate each other as people, but together we're ECW, and that's the enemy in WWF. You know what? Uh, who this would have, this spot would have fit perfectly is uh, Shane Douglas. <laughs> if he would have just I, left the, I mean, fit his character and, and everything. So uh, poor Savio Vega, though, he does get the win. Uh, two wins in one night. Um, he did uh, beat Marty Jannetty on the free for all. I know uh, you're upset, Jannetty. Uh, 
didn't make the pay-per-view until later. So a little Until later. He's, little he's still, you know, he's, he got paid for his match and he got paid for a run-in later that night. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to the Jim Cornette, Jose Lothario video package. Because uh, we're getting that. That match is up next. Jim Cornette versus Jose Lothario. What did you guys think of this pa- uh, video package? Certainly didn't hold too much of a candle to the original package that opened the show. Uh, for Again, I guess it provided a little bit more background of the supposed history between Cornette and Lothario. Uh, but you know, I don't think there was anything that really was going to sell this match as being exciting or enter, you know, as entertaining. I mean, it certainly wasn't meant to be a, a competition. It was more of a, t- a tongue in cheek, ha ha, look at these goofs go at it kind of deal. I, I mean, Cornette looks like he's going to the same, uh, exercise program and, uh, dietitian that Vader has been going to. The only difference is, uh, Cornette has better gear. Yeah, that gear looked like it was brand new for this show. Without a doubt. Well, you, you always bust out your brand new gear for a pay-per-view. True. That showed Absolutely. off. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so then we actually cut to Sapio Vega once again get, getting beat up by uh, Razor Ramon and Diesel. Well, fake Razor and Diesel. Um, this is actually... How do we know? Yeah, exactly. This is actually a plug <laughs> for Raw the next night. Uh, of course, Jim Ross saying Razor and Diesel will be on Raw. Um, and during that, I thought it was funny that Vince actually brings up the ratings for Raw, saying, well, some people thought this was a ratings ploy, but I guess not. <laughs> Tune in on uh, on Raw. So poor Savio Vega fights Marty Jannetty on the free-for-all. Then he fights Bradshaw in the first match. So he's had two matches back-to-back. He also gets attacked by the ECW guys and then gets attacked by by uh, Razor and Diesel. I mean, he's just having a, a rough night for him. Razor Ramon, who was his friend, they, they tagged on a previous in your house. He's, uh, he's attacked by one of his friends. It's awful. Now, remind me who went to Vince Russo when he was known as Vic Venom and said their favorite part of the show is fake Razor and Diesel. Hey, I love the Diesel character, man. You simmer down. Wait, it was you? <laughs> you simmer down at that house show. Yeah, right up. Well, what you guys like? <laughs> oh, I love fake Diesel and fake Razor. Not you fake Razor. I just was a fan of the fake Diesel. I oh, saw talent in Glenn Jacobs, man. I saw when the dentist decided to grow his hair out and dye it black. I still knew there was he. There was time for him to get over. Kevin, did you think he was going to put over the Sultan to Vic Venom? <laughs> educator, but could have been Sultan's third manager. Would have been Bob Backlund, Iron Sheik, and then the Educator all at ringside. No, you, you've got it completely wrong. It wasn't uh, to Vic Venom. It was to Lance Wright from ECW <laughs> Come on, man. Lance Wright was an agent. Was a house show agent at that point. That's right. Vic was um, the, the Raw we went to. Raw. Yeah. yeah. The 97 Raw, the cage was sitting. You know, it's funny about that that, that Lance Wright uh that Lance Wright reference is my brother was cleaning out his, you know, apartment when the the entire uh, quarantine started and he found the autograph Lance Wright a program like you had the match cards on it. It signed it and it said always stay extreme, Mel. <laughs> That's what it said. 
Hype Central, baby. Come on. <laughs> you always hit the remote. This man's you... right, and this is Hype Central. <laughs> That's what a remote control sounds like. Oh. Oh, I thought you I thought it was the graphics of the camera zooming in and out. No, that is true. Those were fun though. I mean, that was uh, that's peak mid 90s. I mean, it really is. Uh, what did you guys think of Corny versus Jose Lothario? All minute of it. Match oh. of the night. It's going on our in-house all-time list. Yeah, do we even want to talk about it? I mean, this is nothing. It's a Jose <laughs> Lothario squash match. Uh, Lothario himself, he kind of reminded me when uh, Chavo Guerrero Senior Chavo Classic did had his run, he looked a lot like Chavo Classic for '62. Yeah. When he was like, you know, in his wrestling gear, he looked younger than when he was in, in whenever he did his plain clothes, wearing his classic manager aspect for Shawn Michaels. Uh, the match itself was just garbage punches. The, the punch, the one more that he had to get in to knock out Cornette, that punch looked weaker than the punch he had prior that knocked Cornette down. Um, you know, it kind of a tongue-in-cheek bathroom <laughs> kind of stalling match for, for those. Sadly, it was the second match in as opposed to later in the card. But you know what? Get it done and over with. This certainly wasn't a match that was selling the pay-per-view. It was just a, a filler. Um, Cornette, the character, fantastic. He's so good. Cornette, the person, especially now, like there's, there's something wrong there and people keep baiting him and he takes the bait, but as a character, he's fantastic. Um, Jose has that like older guy barrel chest thing going on. Yeah. And it, it just seems like when you reach a certain age, it happens. Uh, I saw it this week. Um, educated guy remind me who's the older guy in NWA. Is it Tim Stone. Tim Storm. Yeah. Storm. Yeah, he's got it too. Yep. Like it just seems like you reach a certain age and all of a sudden your chest changes shape. So so let's move on because we have the superstar line here, of course. This is really uh the only time we get to see Sable on the show. Um Sable and Mark Merrow on the left, and of course Farouk and Sonny on the right. Um, and they're advertising that they have a fight at Raw uh for the IC title the next night. So we've gotten two plugs for Raw here within the first 20 minutes, 30 minutes of the show just kind of goes to show you how the, the Monday night wars are heating up. Uh, and at this point, are they losing to WCW in the, in the ratings because of the NWO? Um, I don't think it was a matter of WCW necessarily winning the ratings war. I think they were just, maybe they were at this point. Um, I just I know we're so we're in uh, September of '96, so we're you know two three months into the whole new world order uh, gimmick, and we've got about four or five guys in the NWO at this point, maybe a few more. Um, I, I just I think that Vince is maybe starting to see potentially what a credible threat that WCW could be in terms of ratings. Um, and, and the whole, the angle that's going on with the, the diesel and the razor. And he had brought up the whole ratings thing earlier in the show. And he's going to mention it again a little bit later, which we'll talk about in another match. Um, I think this was just, you know, an opportunity to try to use this airtime to get people ready for the show the next night. And the fact that it was an intercontinental title tournament final for their second most prestigious singles title in the company at the time. Now, now, Kevin, do you remember Sonny managing Farouk? Yeah. 
Um, um, right, how, so, how, I mean, because Farouk's not a tag team. That's true. He's not true. a tag team champion at the point, so I don't know why Sonny would be with him. That's true. Uh, just to go back for a moment, um, the losing streak has started for Raw. They were how many, trading. How, how many weeks was it? Do you know? Uh, so November twenty third is when it starts. Um, this would be the. It's September twenty third. This is the pay per view the night before. This is the night before, so they would lose. They would start losing the next pay per view. No, um, the, this would be the fifth. The next night on Raw would be the fifteenth week in a row. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah, it's definitely already started. Oh, wow. um, it, it's funny you say, Sonny, uh, that Fruk wasn't a tag team because there were rumors they're going to bring in Butch Reed back to WWF. He was in this, the natural butchery during uh, 80s. He was in w- NWA WCW with Ron Simmons as Doom. There are rumors for years that they're going to introduce Farouk first as the new character, and then he would bring in other people. Uh, it never happened. Butchery never came back. But that was rumor for years. And it was this redo of Ron Simmons, which I still don't understand why they did it to this day. I get the nation of domination. I get the the nation of Islam idea. I get the, I'm not going to use this name. I'm going to use another name. I get it. But the stupid helmet, the helmet and the Spartan costume is ridiculous. And maybe Ronson's like, you're going to pay me more money. I don't care. But you have an icon in wrestling and you give him the stupid blue foam helmet to wear. I still don't understand it. And, and he could cut a promo, so it was just to, it was just we don't know what to do with Sonny. Let's throw her over here. Well, we're talking 1996. The internet is just in its infancy, getting ready to take off. I understand why Butch Reed uh, certainly wasn't um, willing to sign with the WWF at that time. I mean, he was too busy in Florida getting ready to invent Netflix. So, you know, just what? Didn't... You got. You obviously don't listen to uh, some of the various uh, podcasts with Conrad Thompson. It's a. It's I've a joke never that, heard the story. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll but, check later. It's a running joke that Butch Reed supposedly invented Netflix in Florida. I think it's because like the Netflix inventors Reed Hastings, I think's the name of the guy. I don't know the official joke either. Conrad's my. Uh, he's my competition, so <laughs> I don't support the competition. <laughs> for podcasting or for flare off spring well just Both. remember <laughs> fat guys do it better fat guys, fat guys do, do it better, better. <laughs> we gotta put that on a t-shirt so let's go we gotta get our merch merchandising game where's our hundred million damn it i want my hundred million dollars just gotta get an account with pro wrestling tees we'll be all right yeah let's uh let's get into the brian pillman uh segment here uh, Brian Pillman, um, Bret Hart kind of feud. He comes out to cut an interview uh, segment. He interviews Owen. They bring out Stone Cold. And uh, a couple things I thought of this is, man, what a difference uh, two months makes for Stone Cold since the last pay-per-view that we saw. Um, I mean, he, talk about finding that character. I mean, you see it. It's incredible how we were saying, oh, remember the logo on the back of his tights? Remember this? You know, remember that? And now... We are seeing full on Stone Cold Steve Austin in this uh, this pay per view. So, what'd you guys think of that segment uh, with uh, Owen and Pillman and Stone Cold? Just the history 
that we see unfold within the next calendar year. You know, we've got Brian Pillman that is supposedly going to have Bret Hart air at the pay-per-view. And then you see a video package of Bret Hart calling Pillman uh, an absolute liar, a scathing liar. No, And, and then six to eight months later, they're going to be a part of that five-man faction, the Hart Foundation. You, you, you got Owen Hart coming down saying that Bret is scared. He's scared of Stone Cold Steve Austin. And it's crazy seeing Bret Hart, or I'm sorry, Owen Hart and Steve Austin in a ring together, trashing Bret Hart together. No, and then just knowing what will eventually unfold and, and the rivalry that Austin will have with the members of, of the Hart Foundation, all of them. Um, just surreal seeing Brian Pillman side by side in the ring with Steve Austin. Uh, knowing their history from WCW and the Hollywood Blondes. Um, I'm assuming that this particular interview must have taken place before um, Austin snapped on Pillman and did that whole Pillman angle and Pillmanized his leg and stomped it. It must have been before Pillman had another surgery, before he was getting ready to come back to wrestling. Because I can't imagine how they would have been you know, side-by-side buddies if you know, Austin had initially attacked Pillman before. So, uh, but just a great interview segment to start planting the seeds for what was eventually going to be a huge rivalry in the future with Steve Austin versus Bret Hart. Like you're saying, seeing Austin Pillman together in the ring, the Hollywood Blondes tag team, and the two of them keep giving each other looks like, can you believe we're doing this in a WWF ring? Like, isn't this weird? It just seems like they're kind of enjoying the moment. Um, Austin with the one of his greatest lines ever. If you put an S in front of Hitman, you get my feelings about him. Just such a classic line and really showing what that character was doing, where he was going and everything. It is definitely before Austin attacked Pillman because Austin attacks Pillman, crushes his leg. You have the promo later of Pillman at home in a cast and he's like, Austin 316, I have Pillman 9mm. And the infamous gun uh, angle. That's right. I remember now. Yep. Yeah. And, the, and also, too, in, in this, Pillman's wearing a I don't call 911 t shirt with the gun on it. God. I mean, it's kind of foreshadowing, too, isn't it? I, I thought he meant the big guy from ECW that would just come out and choke slam everyone. He's not, uh, he's not sitting ringside tonight. So. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he'd just become Big Al and one of uh, Goldberg's victims. <laughs> Down the road. Well, that's, that's a whole that's other story. Wasn't he Tombstone once, too? I can't remember. <laughs> Not by Goldberg. So. Not by Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we get a Mark Henry in Philadelphia video uh, before we get into our next match. But I just want to point something out, guys. We are only 30 minutes into this pay-per-view. We have seen Savio Vega strap match get attacked by the ECW guys. We saw the video package. We saw Razor and Diesel attack and Savio. We saw the Corny versus Jose Lothario, uh, the Pillman interview. Are we officially in Crash TV? Is Russo booking now? Because it feels like there has been a change of pace just from the pay-per-views we've watched previously to this one, especially coming off of uh, Beware of Dog and then, of course, um, our last one international incident i mean this just feels like there's a a quickness to getting through everything and they're throwing a lot of stuff at us without a doubt you know the the whole video montage of mark henry visiting the sites in philadelphia 
Um, I guess I get, one of my questions is, is um, you see that the Liberty Bell, it's all roped off, but why is Mark Henry putting his hands on the Liberty Bell? I'm probably assuming there's a sign that says do not touch or do not lick the Liberty Bell, Barney Stinson style, but, you know, for whatever reason, Mark Henry was there. I can I can attest that you are not you're not supposed to uh, touch the Liberty Bell, and actually the barriers now are a lot farther away from them uh, because I went to uh, the Rumble in Philly in 2018. So I think that's why he's dressed the way he is as a former Olympian. Uh, he's just as American as the Liberty Bell, so he can touch it. It's it's just America touching America. It's it's a knife sharpening another knife. So let's move on. Um, so we got Bulldog and Owen taking on the Smoky Guns with Rodeo Sunny. Yeah, let's go, baby. Um, what, what did you guys think of the stack? Man? Um, watching this match and remembering back to 1996, uh, this is probably very close to the end of the absolute lowest or poorest point the tag team division in the WWF mm-hmm. was. Um, you think back to the previous month at SummerSlam, there was like a four-way match between the only four established tag teams that were there in the WWF. You had the Smoking Guns, you had the Godwins, you had what was the left of uh, the Body Donis, and in fact, in that match, Chris Candido, Skip had like a neck brace on, and I think now at this point, Candido is either on his way out or starting to do shots with the ECW. And then you have the uh, the new rockers, Marty Jannetty, Leaf Cassidy. And those were the only four established tag teams, uh, like, you know, set teams rather than, you know, a random tandem uh, of individuals. And, you know, maybe we could look at Bulldog and Owen as being two singles guys being thrown together um, as a tag team. And they eventually became a much bigger part of a cohesive unit and, you know, a tag team that we would herald as a well-known tag team in WWF. But just how much the tag team division had changed in the WWF and, unfortunately, just the perspective of how unimportant tag team wrestling is, it's it's too bad. Um, I think the height of WWF tag teams was... 1987 1988 time um i just did a a little fact check on like established tag teams in the wwf i just get a load of this roster the british bulldogs the killer bees the fabulous rougeau brothers strike force the young stallions the bolsheviks demolition the dream team the heart foundation the islanders the powers of pain the Rockers, and the Brain Busters. This is 87 through 88, the tag team division. And here we are now, eight, nine years later, 1996, and we're looking at four tag teams, and and we're just throwing a tandem pair together to relaunch the division. And, you know, granted, Owen and Bulldog, I mean... They tried to start rebuilding this division, and they had a pretty lengthy run. Um, but the match itself, you know, there was just so many things going on 
for this particular match. The whole um, Clarence Mason securing the services shadily from Jim Cornette and becoming the full-time manager of Owen and Bulldog, which was later explained in Monday Night Raw and then in the future weeks. You've got the the Sonny, the manager who has been hot-shotting from tag team to tag team to tag team, and now after the end of this match, she has her little tantrum at the end of the night and ends up dropping this tag team as well. And then you actually have the the fact that this is a tag team title match. Um, certainly, you could see the seeds of what would be impending. The smoking guns getting to the point where they're ready to break up. So now we're breaking up another established tag team uh, in a few months' time here. Uh, as you see the entrance of Bart Gunn walking to the ring with his tag title. And then you got Billy Gunn, who's kind of arm-in-arm with Sonny as they're strolling, loungingly along, you know, at their own pace. At one point, Bart's up on the apron already in the ring and is yelling back to Billy, come on, let's take this seriously. You know, Billy was just more concerned with Sonny than the actual tag team, uh, the tag team uh, championship match. We get the walk-in of Clarence Mason, who we saw a little vignette earlier uh, prior to the match. Jim Cornette, you know, being attended to by doctors. And uh, Clarence Mason is having Cornette sign some paperwork, uh, which ends up him transferring over the contracts and the services where Clarence Mason becomes the full-time manager of the Bulldogs. Um, The commentary banter in this match between... Jim Ross and, <laughs> and Vince McMahon was just funny. Um, you know, Jim, well, we, something comes up about the benefit of the doubt. And Jr. says, you know, McMahon, you snivel about Razor and Diesel were just a ratings ploy. And it wasn't, um, you know, and Vince McMahon says, you know, I'm going to reserve for no comment. And then JR fires back. Shouldn't everyone, you know, leave with the benefit of the doubt? You certainly did and expected that when you got reindicted. I'm just like throwing these subtle barbs at each other back and forth, which taking away from what was really going on in the match. Um, the thing about this particular match, there was a couple of blown spots between the guns setting up for tag team maneuvers. The whenever the bulldog got tagged in, I don't know if you guys noticed it, he was kind of like getting a cheer or almost like a face pop from the crowd. So certainly by any means, Owen and Bulldog weren't faces in the match, but it's one of those rare instances where you do have a heel versus heel team, but the crowd is just naturally gravitating towards one rather than the other. It's just kind of shocking not towards Sonny knowing, you know, how much eye candy she ended up serving as in the match. Um, it just... Bart Gunn just kept getting tagged back into the match after he had been worked over so many times with Owen and Davey. Um, The standing vertical suplex that uh, Davey had on Bart Gunn. uh, Owen doing that standing Enziguri kick to Bart Gunn. The crowd kind of popped for that. There was a weird botch where there was an Irish whip into a corner and it kept getting reversed until finally Bulldog got thrown in the corner. And, you know, Bart Gunn drops to his knees, like, in the middle of the ring where Billy Gunn was supposed to run across the ring, jump off of Bart's back into a clothesline. But he was so far away from Bulldog that he jumped off his back and he landed and had to do a step to actually hit the clothesline itself. Um, There were lots of... uh, 
tags in and out where Bart, who had just been beat on mercifully, you know, his knee was worked on by both Owen and Davey. And even the commentary, JR's like, I don't understand why Bart's tagging back into the match. Um, the, in the end, we see the sidewinder finish on the Bulldog and Owen making a save, a false finish with uh, Bulldog almost getting the pin off of that save. Um, and then the finish out of nowhere where Bulldog hits a running power slam onto Bart Gunn. And when Billy Gunn goes in to make the save, I mean, he's square dead center in the ring uh, where he could break up the pin. But rather than breaking up the pin, he ends up running around the pinned Bart towards the other corner so that Owen can hit him with that roundhouse kick and then boom, one, two, three, uh, and the crowd popped for the tag team title switch. If the botched moves and the weird timing and storyline for the guns was on purpose, it's brilliant. And it's very well done to show a a team you know, breaking up and fracturing and, you know, being concerned about themselves and not each other. If it wasn't, and their timing really was like that, maybe it's a blessing in disguise that we're breaking you guys up because something's a little wrong here. Um, I don't, is this, was it shortly thereafter when Bart and Billy, when they permanently split up and they have a match against each other and they do yeah. that angle that Billy got his neck broken and their quote wives run out to the ring. Right. Yeah. Okay. So they end up having a uh, on the free for all. There was a Survivor Series match, Bart's team versus Billy's team, and that angle happened. I think like right afterwards, late November, early December. Okay, and it's funny how you're bringing up um, the tag teams when when they did have a a surplus of tag teams in WWF. You had so many tag teams back then. You had jobber tag teams. You didn't just have like two random guys come in, like Iron Mike Sharp and Barry Horowitz show up and get beaten. You had, like, the Young Stallions were a jobber tag team. Not taking anything away from the two guys that were it, but they were never going to win the title. They were never in a long-term program, but you knew who they were, and they were a name. Um, and it's amusing to me to hear how much that uh, you, you were upset at the state of tag team wrestling at the time. But think of it now, Matt. There's four tag team titles in WWF. I know there's nothing you love more than titles. It's ridiculous. It's, this is it's current. It's like Jim Crockett all over again. Just the <laughs> number of champions is ridiculous. You got five on this brand. You got six on this brand. You got four on this brand. You got three on this brand. It's just not necessary. I I think you need a world or or heavyweight, a secondary, a tag, and a women's. Done. But you got four brands now, so <laughs> every one of them needs that, though. Um, now, the, the only thing that you didn't really cover is when Sonny's giant poster is unfurled. All and right. Defaced by oh, that's fantastic. Two things. One, I feel bad for the crowd that was behind it. It's like, hey, we got great seats. We can, you know, a little higher up in the in the seating. We can see everything from this angle. We can't see a damn thing right now because this giant, like, 100-foot poster is in our way. It's going to be for a bit. Um, but then the the way Sonny's place and a lot of other things going on, I'm 
I got to imagine Russo is part of this now, as, as you were asking, because of the Jim Ross lines, because of Jim Ross and Vince going back and forth. That very much seems like a Russo thing of like, let's bring in the real world here. Let's get some, you know, let's let's pull back the curtain a bit. But also, and it looks like I'll probably continue to bring this up in our series. I truly believe Vince Russo has a problem with women in wrestling and goes out of his way to make them look bad. And I've seen it in WWF and I've seen it in his WCW booking. And I've seen it in his TNA booking. So I could see this like, hey, what if we take that giant poster of Sonya that we got and make her look terrible? And then she throws a fit and looks like a clown out there. That sounds great. Yeah, I, I don't get that portion of it, especially when Bulldog and Owen are a heel team. Like, it just doesn't. I, I mean, that would be something you would do. I, I don't know. Like, it just it, it, I just thought it was odd, that whole thing. And that's like, oh, they must have done it. <laughs> like, oh, that Owen's a prankster. <laughs> I mean, that, which, was kinda, the ex, that was kind of the explanation for it. Wouldn't it be funny if he did it and didn't tell them? Like when it's when it when the poster comes down, everyone there, you know, Vince, everyone's like, "Who the hell defaced this?" And it's just Owen, like, "Yeah, I was bored. I was bored a couple hours before the show." Um, so Matt, I did have a question for you because I know you were talking about the tag teams. So you you would say that was the best year for it? Um, of course, I well, of course, I think people would bring up the Attitude Era when you had. Uh, Edge and Christian, the Dudleys, the Hardys, and the New Age Outlaws is your top four. That would be the probably the only other era where you could probably argue. I, I guess I, I miss the, the the days of established tag teams with an established gimmick as opposed to two singles just being thrown together. Let's see what happens. You know, um, currently today you got you got Ricochet. And Ricochet's tagging up with, um, help me out. Cedric Alexander. Yeah, Cedric Alexander. Two well-known, established singles guys, and now they're just been, for whatever reason, thrown together as a tag team. You know, maybe something great will eventually come come of this. Um, But unfortunately, we have a history of WWE where you've got just two singles guys. Well, we don't know anything else to do with them. Let's just throw them together and see if if something sticks from it. Sometimes great things do, like the New Day, and sometimes it's just a forgotten championship run, championship reign, throwaway tag team that really had no credible point in being together. I concur. So I think the frustrating thing now is when you see a great tag team in NXT and then they get up to the main roster and they just don't know what to do with them on Raw or SmackDown. They flounder. Absolutely flounder. I thought, I personally thought American Alpha was going to be like the biggest tag team to come out of that. And their matches with, of course, the Revival were unbelievable in NXT and then don't know what to do with them. Yeah, no clue. (laughs) Let's turn a comedy well, team, you know. What would you call Owen Hart and British Bulldog here, though? Because they both had singles runs and are thrown together. Now, granted, they have the family connection, so it seems more um, natural. to. Yeah, more lo- at least this seems a little bit more logical, plausible, 
and that the whole family dynamic and so on. And, and, and they invested the time and the effort into this particular pairing. I mean, these guys had been a part of Camp Cornette at least. I mean, they had a WrestleMania six-man tag earlier in the year. So at least they had been a combined tandem for a while. And and now, I mean, granted, they didn't have any official the the Heart Foundation. Bold, you know, I mean, they didn't have any established, like, formalized team until you know the revival of the whole heart foundation brand with the five of them that were there Um, but you know if you're going to throw these random duos together invest the time and and make something of it as opposed to a random schmoz you know yeah and i think to that point because they do have the family ties owen and bulldog makes more sense than owen and yoko um, even though I liked Yo- Owen and Yoko as a team, I thought they they, they complemented each other well. But when you're just talking about what makes sense, it makes more sense for that. Um, and then finally, uh, to kind of wrap this up, I think the last two guys that were put just thrown together that I, I really liked were Cesaro and Tyson Kidd. I thought that team was awesome. The bar? I'm just not a big Sheamus guy. That, but that's just me. That's my own personal preference. But I like. I liked Kid and Cesaro better for some, but I thought they were unbelievable. I thought they, you know, if, if obviously if Kid didn't have his injury, they, they were going to go places. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, so why don't we move on? We get Kevin Kelly again, uh, talking with uh, Paul Bearer uh, with Mankind. Of course, Paul Bearer turned on The Undertaker at SummerSlam. Um, yeah. Um, and then, uh, what did you guys think of that before we get to our next match? Anything from, from that promo? You guys Paul Bearer blaming the creatures of the night for why he turned and did what he did to the undertaker. It's just, you know, we're, we're getting a little bit more, uh, of the heelish Paul Bearer character development and given the opportunity to develop that, I think it was well needed. The creatures were the night were never in their seats. <laughs> They took, they always had to be moved. That's my Paul Bear folks. It was so shocking and so good and so well done at first, but Bearer and Undertaker got back together and split up so many times over the years that it lost a lot of its impact. So watching this, it, it, I'm not feeling it on the rewatch at all because I know how many times they went back and forth and it just lost it. Um, Back to your uh, Paul Bear impression, which was spot on. Thank you. And people yeah, you thought he was in the room. You, did you think he was in I, the room? I did. I did. Um, it took a couple minutes, but eventually three people took the ECW seats in the front row that were abandoned after the first match. We, we, we seem to have fallen into the segment of what's going on in the front row for a lot of these shows. And I was like, all right, if it's a plant, just, you know, suspending my disbelief for a moment. If it's set up, someone else is going to go in those seats very shortly. If they legit bought front row tickets and were just hanging out, then those seats are going to remain empty. So I was just kind of curious what was going to happen along the way. Yeah, I always I always thought it was funny when the three guys would get kicked out or sit front row. And then literally within minutes later, the people that were supposed to sit there are there. Like I was yeah. just kind of thought, oh, OK, they didn't really buy the ticket then. So. Um, so coming down to the ring, we get Jerry Lawler who cuts the best promo. No one's ever heard because Vince McMahon is talking over him <laughs> the entire time. And I don't understand either of them. Like, I don't understand what Vince is talking about. I don't get what Jerry, the King's talking about. 
uh, it's just, I mean, he's talking over the, the promo video for the match as well. Vince's and he Vince is explaining the video that's playing, which is explaining the feud, if that makes any sense. Uh, but we do get our Jerry Lawler versus Mark Henry match. Uh, and for some reason at the end of this, the new rockers and triple H get involved. So what did you guys think of this? Mark Henry certainly uh, was well known to have signed a super long-term contract. Uh, Hellions, do you remember how, what that duration was supposedly for? For 10 years, I believe. Was it, was it a 10 year? I was under the impression it was 20. I know Bret Hart supposedly had signed a 20 year deal and then the whole Survivor Series thing happened. I couldn't remember if it was 10 or 20. So uh, we're, we're getting a debuting Mark Henry here. And even on commentary, Jim Ross is flat out saying, Mark Henry's not ready for this. Stylistic wise, he's not ready for this. And it was well known that Mark Henry was not at all prepared or, or ready for ring. And, and But this was his debut, and Vince was just forcing, his, forcing it down his throat. I actually kind of felt bad for Lawler in this match and some of the moves that Henry did. Uh, and, you know, they just they looked brutal, the bumps that he had to take. You know, Lawler's attempt for a body slam, and uh, Henry reverses it. Picks him up for a press slam, but instead of dropping him down on your back to do a back bump, he kind of throws him towards the turnbuckle on his side and his shoulder. That looked awkward. Um, Lawler is then uh, thrown into the corner, um, and it just, again, the bump that he took, it just looked very, very painful. Um, When Lawler's bouncing off the ropes to hit Henry, the first time, it's kind of like a shoulder tackle from Henry and Lawler gets knocked down. But then when he does it a second time, uh, the the sidestep and throw out of the ring, it looked like uh, Lawler was a luchador doing a headfirst dive <laughs> towards the guardrail. You know, and at first you thought he hit headfirst in the guardrail, but then on the double action replay, you just see how just quit painful he landed on that right shoulder um head first towards the rail and towards the floor um then Lawler doing his classic healing stuff there was a supposed like foreign object that he was reaching for in his tights I don't remember actually seeing the object in his hands when he punched Henry with it a couple of times maybe it was something inside of his fist to pack his fist and make it tighter but certainly didn't look like he had any knuckles or anything like that so I question whether or not uh there was just was Waller just doing it as a goofy heel to get the crowd fired up um the finish for the match it just went out of nowhere where Mark Henry kind of like gives the pile driver sign like he's going to give Lawler a pile driver like his own move but instead he picks him up for the Jesse Ventura over the shoulder backbreaker but like most of the time he wasn't being held over the shoulder it was kind of like Lawler was lurched forward like he was going to get dropped on his head for a pile driver just just an awkward finish but you know it's Mark Henry's debut match for the WWF and then the post-match relay with the new Rockers doing run-ins. You know, Leaf Cassidy runs in first, tries to beat down Mark Henry, and Mark Henry easily tosses him through the ring ropes to the floor. Marty Jannetty then does a run-in to try to uphand uh, Mark Henry. He then gets thrown to the floor. 
And then, yeah, for whatever reason, Hunter Hearst Helmsley makes a random appearance on this pay-per-view and gets a little bit of offense in, but Mark Henry eventually reverses it, picks him up for a press slam, and throws him over the top rope onto the new Rockers. So we got three heels after the match that kind of get beat on, and you know, and that would be the last we see of Mark Henry for a long time <laughs> until the, the Nation of Nomination. So, what was the um? the reasoning behind the rockers and triple H coming out, did they have anything going on with like them and Lawler or were they just jealous of the new guy coming in? Basically, was that kind of what the story probably something along those lines? And I mean, I don't think there was any official linkage with Lawler itself. I mean, eventually there's going to be a survivor series team and Lawler and triple H would actually be together on the same team against undertaker's team. Um, cause I believe it was Lawler and triple H and crush and gold dust against, uh, uh, an undertaker team, I believe. So a little bit of, uh, shenanigans there. So I feel it was, Hey, we want to do the spot where Mark Henry throws Lawler. We need some random people to catch him. Who's low on the totem pole. Who's not going to lose any heat. You know, who can we trust to catch him too? here's three random guys. And that was all there was to it. Uh, for as much as Mark is super green in this match, Lawler does make him look very good. Absolutely. Not selling lead in him. Lawler really does a fantastic job here. Um, tangent Lawler with knuckles, as you're mentioning. And you, you know, uh, taking it out, putting it back in, however it's hiding and stuff. The casket spot at Beware of Dog, where Mankind shows up and Undertaker disappears and all. Do you think WWFE has ever brought in a magician as a consultant for some of these things? For distraction, for sleight of hand? And I don't mean that Phantasmo character, whatever the heck that is. But I mean, an actual like real magician that would show like some sleight of hand or distracting the audience or how to do things, how to pull it off, even when you have thousands of people watching you. No, I I don't think so. Um, Only because in wrestling, everything is over dramatic. And I think in magic, you don't want people to see the trick. So I think I think. You know, with Lawler's playing to the crowd and he wants you to be able to see him pull it out because that's what gets you the heat rather than sneaking it on when you you wouldn't see anything um, as far as like, you know, the, the casket spots and stuff like that. I think that's probably just um, coming up with ideas and, and then trying to figure out how that works. And, and they probably have someone, I think, maybe on staff, but more like um whether it's a, I mean, a set designer or like someone when they're doing entrances for mania where you have trap doors and, and, and lifts where you can bring people up so there, there's gotta be someone I would imagine that, that you go to for all those sorts of like technical aspects of it. But I don't think they're consulting outside of the building for, for any of that. Yeah. You got your buried alive match that you, you know, you got to take care of the guy that gets buried you know, and we've seen a few other instances. You're taking care of the guy. You know, Rikishi taking the bump off the cage into the truck bed during that hell in the cell, that six packs hell in the cell. Yeah. Well, you you may have a stunt coordinator that that comes Perhaps, up with that. Yeah. 
or even um like i was using a vegas example for magic but uh, like you're saying with people coming out for media entrances uh, more of a vegas for like uh a celine dion or you know someone that's got you know that's uh has their their tenure or whatever it's called at one casino but they're going to have all sorts of things going on on the stage that they need some sort of production department to figure out design and all okay so last thing on this match jerry lawler the king what what country is he the king of king of wrestling sir okay because i have to assume he's the king of some foreign land due to the usa champs no. Throughout the match, <laughs> like you're chanting USA and Lawler's that's, from Memphis. Yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, King of he was yeah the King of Memphis. That's true. <laughs> Which is still USA. Yeah. What was the match with uh, when Landstorm stopped and said we're both Canadian? Oh, or I'm Canadian, gosh. he's Mexican because the fan the fans were chanting USA. Was it Cicosi? It was a WCW he, match, wasn't uh, it? Me, I think so. I think it was Cicosis or yeah. Or a Hooven, or a Hoovy, maybe. Hooventude. So, you know what? It's funny you bring up the Buried Alive match, because they've already announced it. Even though we have two main events coming up, uh, one with the world title on the line with one of the combatants. Uh, just so you know, the Buried Alive match, not for the world title, is literally what they said. Um, they're actually making it an unsanctioned match. Um, and then we actually get into a Goldust Taker video, um, sort of retreading what we saw earlier. Uh, kind of going over the feud. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we go straight to Goldust and Marlena in the ring. We don't get to see their beautiful entrance, uh, which is just a shame because uh, that entrance is money. Um, and we're setting up for the final curtain match, which let me ask the educator. Educator, what is a final curtain match? I had no idea what it was uh, regarding what the whole gimmick was with this other than hearing Howard Finkel in the background that the only way that this match can end is by a pinfall. So I, I'm assuming that this is meant to bring a finality to the feud. This is, in fact, the third pay-per-view match uh, that they've had, gosh, in the last probably five or six months between you've got the uh, Beware of Dog casket match when Goldust was Intercontinental Champion and you had Mankind come out of the casket, the broken lid casket, and throw uh, the mandible claw onto Undertaker and get Ma Undertaker into the casket and seal it closed. Then you had what we had just covered at the, our last show, the International Incident pay-per-view, where Undertaker had tombstoned uh, Goldust, was going for the pin, but then Mankind had cut a hole through the ring and uh, cut out of the ring corner and dragged Undertaker back under the ring with the mandible claw. And then now we have the, hopefully the finality to this, uh, this trio of matches, uh, another traditional match between the two, but apparently this needs to be uh, uh, an actual legit finish as opposed to the, the DQ or that we, we saw at the last show. So out of those three matches we saw, which one was the best one? Is this the best one that we saw between them? Or do you think it's uh, Beware of Dog? Do you think it's the other one? What was the, where did the other one take place? Was it in nine? Was it literally the last one? International incident. Yeah. It was the very yeah. last show that we had done. Um, of the three, I, I, I actually wasn't too overly impressed 
with this particular match because I mean they they sold the uh, the whole idea of you know an incapacitated unable to see Undertaker. So Goldust was just basically picking his shots as best he could until you know uh, the creatures of the night helped over Undertaker overcome and finally win the match. Um, I, I think probably just the first encounter that they had in the casket match, even though we had the the uh, mankind ending that if that ended up you know kind of ruining the the whole idea of the Intercontinental Championship being on the line and Undertaker not winning and so on. I just it was it was just interesting the the two characters for the first time meeting. I kind of like that one the most of the three. I liked the middle one the most. Um, I felt it got the most chance to tell the story. Uh, Gold just stalling and doing his gimmick at first. And then once the match starts going, it really gets going. If this one on Mind Games was a little longer, I probably couldn't put it higher. Okay. Do you guys want to cover <laughs> this one? Or I mean, there's really not much to cover. Yeah. I mean, we've seen this match so many times already that I didn't think, I didn't think anything really stood out in the action is, is kind of what I, what I mean. The shenanigans of this match, and for whatever reason, the the ring crew not cleaning up the the mat and causing the combatants to be covered, you know, with the the gold dust, you know, basically just all of this this what whatever was thrown in Undertaker's face um, to kind of blind him, just to set up the whole, a blind, unable to be, incapable of even seeing Undertaker now at a disadvantage for the match. You know, they just played that off, and then eventually the whole Undertaker overcomes. I, I don't know if you guys caught it on commentary. I just, the word histrionics was used a lot to describe the whole moves and Goldust rubbing his chest and playing with the crowd and touching, you know, just we're starting to hear this word more and more and more often. And I think all three commentators use that word histrionics at least once during this match. Um, but again, the whole um, tombstone finish, the choke slam off the top rope, you know, I think Goldust may have botched that spot with the choke slam. Uh, off the top rope onto the floor because he ended up hitting his both feet on the ground and almost standing up before essentially being pushed down to the ground for that choke slam. Uh, and then the tombstone finished the one, two, three. But there was just glitter all over the ring. Uh, um, and, it, and there was confetti that had fallen from the ceiling. Uh, so how like the referee didn't realize all this glitter suddenly just shows up in the ring during a spot where marlena had served as a distraction and then just it was just crazy and then the glitter just all over the place and then it ended up being all over mankind and all over Shawn michaels during the next the final match it was just a distraction more than anything see i thought the the glitter and everything looked kind of cool just uh showed how much that they were they were sweating, working hard, and really putting their all into it. And that's and they got covered more and more. Um, for the Goldust Undertaker match, the star is Marlena in this one, really. Uh, she slaps Undertaker. He picks her up with ridiculous ease. I gotta imagine she's probably smaller than Alexa Bliss. Like, Marlena is tiny, and he is just no effort. Uh, the actual gold dust to the eyes of the undertaker was a good, interesting spot really gave, uh, gold himself, um, an advantage for a while. I, I like the match overall. I thought it told a good story and, uh, it's definitely, it has to be the end for this feud because both men are going on to other things. 
Um, do you think that they ever debated on calling Marlena Stevie Nicks instead? Because she's gold dust woman? No. No Fleetwood Mac for either of you. Kevin, I had a question for you. <laughs> when you watch a pay-per-view, uh-huh. do you write these jokes down? No. Or do they just come up naturally to you? You two have known me for years. And and if the listeners want to know, like, you two can vouch. This is just me. I just randomly no, no, have I under- ridiculous, dumb, goofy stuff come to my head. No, I, I know that. But I'm saying, though, did that formulate in your head nope. during the pay-per-view or did you bring it up for this awesome audio content <laughs> it popped into my mind as i was talking and i had to come out i do not have any jokes in my notes at all some would say i don't have any jokes coming out of my mouth either but for for what you're asking no there are no jokes or set up in my notes at all no jokes in the notebook no jokes on tiktok all right let's move on <laughs> To, uh, we're going to go up to our main event here. Uh, but first, we got Kevin Kelly talking with HBK. Uh, then we get the awesome entrances. We see the Druids bring out the casket uh, with Mankind uh, in the casket, which I thought was awesome. Uh, personally, that was really cool. And then, of course, we get HBK uh, coming out with Jose Lothario, Paul Bearers, and Mankind's... Uh, he, he's in uh, Mankind's corner. I, I find it odd, though, knowing the way this ends... At the, at the exact end, with the Undertaker showing up in the casket, why the Undertaker match would be literally right before this. There's no like buffer to get him ready. I mean, we, he must have walked to the back, put on the Druid's outfit, and that's obviously how you sneak him out. But he's he so still, tall. Exa- well, I know, but there is a one tall Druid who's like bending down, so so that way he's not seen. But think about how sweaty he would have been to then put on the uh druid costume and hang out underneath the ring and then then you know do the whole you know going into um you know going into the casket and whatnot you just think they would put a buffer match in there now like that would have been the perfect spot for the jose Lothario jim Cornette match yeah right but, but then you got to move the owen and bulldog one because you got to have clarence mason get the manager license um, the, Maybe you the, could do Mark Henry, Jerry Lawler in between. Yeah, even the Pillman interviewing Owen in uh, Austin might be a good right. filler right in there. No, right. absolutely. Actually, that's what you should probably move is that because they were promising Brett on the pay-per-view and you're close to the end at that point. It's, it would be smart. So anyways, let's go into uh, the singles match. Now, on the last podcast, I said... Let's, you know, we're going to be taking notes here. We may have to shuffle around the top five because I remember this match being awesome. And I watched it and it's good, but it just didn't hold up in my opinion. Uh, and I know the educator, you feel the exact same way. So I'll let you air your grievances. First. I a hundred, I a hundred percent agree that I, I remember in, uh, so this is 96. So this is my senior in high school. I, I just two matches stood out and the six man tag that we talked about at the last show international incident. I, I didn't remember that as being one, but the Shawn Michaels versus diesel amazing match that we talked about uh, good friends, better enemies. And then this match as well. Um, looking back at it again, I just, I don't, yeah, there are some great spots. Um, I, 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 
I see, I don't know if you guys picked up on it, what appeared to be a blown spot that Michaels was mad at Foley about uh, being whipped into the corner and Foley didn't kind of follow him in to get like a high cross body off the corner. And then muscle Michaels has to jump down, run across the ring. And it looks like he stiffs Foley, the mankind character pretty hard and Foley kind of like slapped him back in the face haphazardly. Uh, I don't know if as a response to that. Um, but, I mean, there were fantastic spots that happened throughout the match. Uh, Shawn Michaels suplexing uh, Mankind uh, on the outside of the ring and his legs smash into the, or at least one of his legs smash into the uh, the blue ring steps. Um and then after that spot, there was a lot of great storytelling in the ring my, uh, regarding Michaels working on the legs to try to incapacitate uh, Mankind. Um, the awkward um, interjection of the referee when uh, Mankind was in the corner and Shawn Michaels did a quick spot and the referee gets in the way to pull Michaels away. I guess, I don't know if he was counting, but Michaels like slapped the referee in the middle of the match. And even commentary said, well, that wasn't, or Jim Ross was like, well, that was uncalled for. Or that was a pretty stupid move right there. Why wasn't that a disqualification? Wasn't this a no DQ match? <laughs> I see. I don't know. I, I don't remember this being advertised as no DQ. Uh, gentlemen, help me out on this because there were a few other spots in the match. But commentary alluded to after, and even Mr. Perfect said afterward, uh, Shawn Michaels knows he could take the easy way out. And Jim Ross is like, well, I think it was just the height of his emotions. He doesn't want to get out of it that way kind of deal. So, well, And then, too, the end. The end is a DQ finish. It's a DQ finish. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's just, like, so many spots that do not make sense. Uh, but going back, after that slap, Michael starts to continue to work on uh, Mankind's leg. There was a dragon screw leg whip onto Mick Foley, and he, like, twisted around like he was a luchador and sold that, like, amazingly. A figure four on Foley. Um, Michael's, like, running the ropes and drop-kicking Foley directly into that knee. Um, there was a single-leg Boston Crab to continue to work on the knee. Um, a lot of uh, storytelling where Michaels was kind of like cutting Foley down and so on. Um, the thing that frustrated me is that, okay, so you brought it up. We had a run-in that had a deep disqualification finish. Um, towards the end of the match, you've got Shawn Michaels and Foley who are fighting on the outside of the ring near that Spanish announce table. Um, Michaels ends up grabbing a steel chair, hits Foley in the back of the leg to kind of knock him down. And then when Foley tries to stand up, he puts his, uh, his mandible claw hand on the apron to kind of pull himself off. Michaels completely slams that particular hand with a steel chair. Now, maybe you can't see off camera or on camera. If Paul bearer maybe has the referee distracted during all this, which wouldn't make sense when Michaels is on the offense in this match, but how either of those weren't considered a DQ, the ref getting slapped in the face wasn't considered a DQ. Um, 
Michael's then working on the Mandible Claw, and then eventually the Mandible Claw covering uh, Foley decides to finally it gets taken off, and, and then Foley hits his double arm DDT on Michaels to get a two count. My, uh, Foley does Mankind does the uh, the pile driver, the pull the tight sit down pile driver to get a two count. Um, the thing that stands out from this match, and it was on highlight highlight reels for years and years and years, was that Spanish announce table spot where Michaels kind of gets crashed on the ropes, and uh, Foley decides to step out of the ring onto the apron and goes to do a belly to back suplex uh, back towards that Spanish announce table, which had been moved towards ringside, and then Michaels does that quick reverse and ends up doing more of a cross body. Through, on top of Foley's body to push Foley through the table. The thing that I thought was interesting after that spot is you see it on TV. Mick Foley, or not Mick Foley, Vince McMahon gets up from commentary, leaves the commentary table, goes to check on Shawn Michaels, and then you also see him talking to the referee, Earl Hebner. Who knows what? Maybe he's telling Hebner about how much time there's left in the show or something like that, or, or to go to the finish or to wrap this up really, really quick. Um, we end up getting the jumping super kick off of the uh, steel chair into Foley's face uh, with a chair that knocks Foley back down. Um, Michaels gets the, uh, 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 gets the win with a disqualification. We get uh, a pin attempt by Shawn Michaels, the super kick onto Mankind. One, two, unfortunately, we got a late run-in by Vader, who was going to interfere in the match to stop the, the pin count. Uh, unfortunately, you've got Michaels that realizes that Vader's not going to make it in time, so he gets up from his own pinning attempt to go attack Vader. Okay, now we're laying the groundwork for what will eventually be, or what we thought would be, another match between Michaels and Vader that ends up never turning out to the be being the case. We got Sid justice or Sid vicious. I should say psycho Sid, uh, doing a run in to save, uh, the fact that Vader had done a run in, I guess those two ended up having a dark match later that night, Sid versus Vader, uh, later on in the show. And then you got Foley Mankind, who does the mandible claw on Shawn Michaels, the barehanded mandible claw, uh, to incapacitate Michaels after the DQ finish. You see Paul Bearer open up the casket, and as uh, Mankind is rolling the limp body of uh, Shawn Michaels towards the casket, and boom, we see the Undertaker jump out. And so now they're continuing their feud as Undertaker attacks Foley. Um, it just didn't make sense. We have a DQ finish. But we have two chair shots, and we have the champion slapping the referee in the middle of the match as well, which doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, there were some great spots, but I just don't feel that this match held up as well as the Shawn Michaels-Diesel match that we had already discussed back from the Good Friends Better Enemies pay-per-view. Like, like you said, Matt, though, um, there's a lot of good spots in it, but it's just the flow of them, I, I thought, was kind of weird. Um, of course, I also love... Uh, Foley getting his head stuck in the ropes is always, I mean, that just, when that came out, I was like, oh, I totally forgot about that. It's such a, a good spot. But yeah, I wonder what McMahon was saying to Hebner, you know, during that. I thought that was very interesting, especially because Vince was seated in the middle position on the announce table. So he had to get up and walk around perfect to, to get to Hebner. Uh, but yeah, Kevin, uh, Kevin Hellions, what do you think? 
I like the match a lot. There's a lot of very good in the match, but it is a spot iconic match. There's this spot and this spot and this spot and this spot. Like there's a lot of cool things that ended up in highlight reels and video packages and stuff like that over the years. But when you break it down, there's certain things that don't flow as well as they could have. There's certain things that seem missed. The ending's crap. I understand why they did it. You need Sean to look strong. You need Mankind to look strong into his program with Undertaker. You can't have either of them lose. I get it. Now, they've done it more in years since, but they'll have the announcers explain, oh, the referee's letting this go. Oh, it's a title match and the stakes are so high, the referee's letting this stuff go. Both men could have been disqualified. But that's the passion when you're fighting for the world title. Like, they, they'll find ways to excuse it. But then a 400-pound man running into interfere, now that you it has to be a disqualification. If both of them are being the hell out of each other, it's still even. Now, the, quote, blown spot is not a blown spot. It is on purpose. Mick Foley and Shawn Michaels were on the Edge and Christian podcast, which has been removed from Apple and from my usual podcast. I don't know if they went Spotify exclusive under Joe Rogan deal or something, but I actually had to find it on YouTube. So Ed and Christian sat down with Mick Foley and Shawn Michaels, and they went over this match and their feelings beforehand and their booking and their ideas and all. This was the first time the two of them were ever in the ring with each other. They didn't have a feud going into it, and they had to figure out what they were going to do and make it matter. Plus with, Vader, Sid, Undertaker, all this other stuff at the end. Mick Foley went to Sean and said, hey, I don't know if you're aware of this, but sometimes you can get kind of hot-headed in the ring, get upset, because he did this to Vader, I think at SummerSlam, where Vader really missed a move, and Michaels kind of flipped out on him for a while. So Foley said, what if we do that? What if it looks like I missed a move, and you get upset, and I get upset back? And then it looks like we're having a real fight here. And Michaels went for it. And it fooled everyone. Because it does look like they flat out screwed it up. But then, like him going through the tables, I kind of fully going in, getting his head stuck in the ropes and then bringing up the mandible claw. Like that's like, kind of, there's so many good things in it, but it doesn't really tell a whole story. It's like getting a, a magazine or a comic that's nothing but like posters and like single page beautiful pictures they're beautiful but i don't get a whole story throughout it kevin with with them doing that and messing the spot up on purpose or i guess you wouldn't say messing the spot up but just doing that sort of thing who was that for because because at this point i mean the internet i mean yeah it's a small i mean super super small segment of probably your fans at this point um like who i i don't understand why you even put that in in all honesty right the internet is part of it ufc coming in is part of it as wwf had just are having moves look more real due to ufc's popularity there's also sean michaels is currently your blonde pretty world champion and if you don't give that person an edge the fans will turn against him real fast see john cena no matter how many good matches John Cena would have, no matter how many that may have been violent or bloody or crazy or what, he got booed and would still get booed today by a certain segment of fans. 
oh, he's blonde and he's good looking and he's being shoved down our throats. And they were trying to not have that happen to Shawn Michaels. So that's the Diesel match and that's this Foley match. This match against Foley, Mankind, in Philadelphia, if you get those fans to support you and think you're still a tough guy and you can hang with anyone and if stuff gets real, you can take care of yourself, also especially after Syracuse, then you have their respect, and that's a very tough wrestling audience to get their respect for. If you got them, they got the rest of the world. Sean can be a star. Sean can be supported by everyone and not have one half of the audience cheer and one half boo. So at the end of the match, of course, we get Undertaker in the casket, um, the whole Vader Sid. But even after that, we also get another tease. Once again, they're teasing Michael's uh, Mr. Perfect. Uh, when Sean is going around. Uh, one thing, though, I did want to point out that no one pointed out. I'm surprised neither one of you guys did it was when Sean put the figure four on Foley. He started doing the flare woos. I don't mm. know if you guys if you guys noticed that, but he was going a little off there, kind of a little uh, shot against uh, WCW at the time. Um, so do we need to bring out our top five? Does this make the top five? As four matches we have seen, um, I know number five currently is Bret Hart versus Jean uh, Pierre Lafette, Lafitte, Lafette, whatever. Uh, is this better than that? Are we only doing the top five, like throughout this process? Will we only yes. have like okay, yeah, um, top five? I would be willing to bump Bret and Jean Pierre for it. I probably would as well. Yeah, I think uh, overall, I, I guess, again, for the known uh, spots in this match that are kind of iconic, I think it would certainly be deserving, at least right now, based on the 10 shows, it would be in the top five. Who knows whether or not it would be slip. I, I can, I'm already picturing a couple of matches in future shows that we're going to do ahead that are going to probably bump it out easily. Uh, but at this point, yeah, I think it would certainly get into the top five. What's uh, number four on our list? Uh, HBK Jeff Jarrett for the IC title. No, I, I don't see this match being better than that one. Hallions, what about you? I think it was. I think it was. I would stop it there. So I guess uh, treats. You're the you're the buffer because our number three is the six man, and you guys both say this is not as good as that six man tag. No, we saw last no, week. no, that was just exciting. Like that crowd really helped make that match. And it wasn't the same for this. Uh, I know there's no, there's no sunny in this to sway you either way. I know. I know. Well, you know, Shawn Michaels at the time was (laughs) (laughs) sunny adjacent. Yeah. Yeah. It was cloudy days. So Brett versus Lafitte is definitely out. I would pull that out. Uh, I would put the mind games on the top five. You know what? I would probably put it ahead of HBK Jarrett. Um, me personally, just because of the few spots that I remember. And I remember it being so much better and it just didn't flow. And it didn't like you, we were pointing out the flaws in it kind of with the, you know, the DQ finish and stuff like that. I just, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I would put it, I would put it at four though. Imagine if they got to have like a longer feud and storyline and like a couple more matches to feel each other out. What it could have been so far. This is just making me like mankind more McFoley more oh, these it. matches. I mean, what he's, what he's doing is incredible. So as always, we got to rank this one. Where are we putting it? Gentlemen. All right, let's start 
with uh, our bottom of the barrel, number seven. Uh, in your house, number seven. I got to just start making a list. Was good friends better enemies? Is this better than that one? I would say it's better, yes. especially with All the right. ECW interaction. All right. Is it better than in your house, number two, the Lumberjacks? Yeah. I would say so as well. Okay. Is it better than number eight, Beware of Dog? Yes. I would say yes, Beware of Dog. And, and, and again, the power outage is always going to hurt that show. If that was right. one complete show, it'd, be, it'd have a different feel. All right. Is it better than number four, which is the Great White uh, North? What was the main uh, event for Great White North again? It was Bulldog Diesel with uh, Bret Hart on commentary. We had a great Karate Fighters was presenting. Series. <laughs> Just going through my notes real quick on that one. You got the Marty Jannetty Goldust. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Shawn Michaels Intercontinental Forfeit. That eventually transitioned to Razor. Razor wrestled twice that night. I'm debating. I, I think this probably would get ahead of the Great White North pay-per-view for me. You would put it ahead of Great White North? I would put it ahead of the Great White North. Put mine head. I, I mean, yeah, going through my notes again, too, it's King Mabel versus Yokozuna is on that in your house four. Right. You know, Dean versus Razor. Yeah, I've conf- yeah. I mean, there's just I, nothing nothing at Great White North that no, stands no, out. This is, yeah, this is ahead of Great White North for sure. All right. Is it better than the first in your house, the one we were at? I don't think so. I think that's where my that's where my line is drawn right there. I think the Syracuse show, uh, the novelty of the first show, not nothing. I realize the decent uh, the last two matches for what they were were okay, but um, I appreciated the Syracuse show. And maybe I'm a little biased because of the fact I was there live for it. But I think this is pretty much where I would draw the line. That that first hour of this one just drags so bad. So? I thought it went by quick because there's so many segments. There's so much. There's too going much on. going on on that, and 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 nothing matters. Like the the just knock match, the strap match is just a setup to get the ECW spot, and then nothing matters. Uh, you got the backstage segment. You got Cornette Lothario. You got Superstar Line. You got an interview. You got Mark Henry in Philadelphia. Like it, it th- that's your free for all, <laughs> you know. Um, I'll, I'll agree. I think that's where uh, I think that's where mind game stops overall. All right, so we're gonna put it in the bottom five currently. Uh, so that'll go right behind in your house one. Of course, number one is the last one we did, which was number nine. Oh God, <laughs> I'm so confused. All right, so international incident is number one, and of course, uh, triple Hebner is number number two and then uh number five is number three seasons beatings is our third best one and of course mankind uh hbk goes to match number four on our top um our top five list there of course number one being the hbk diesel uh, number two being brett bulldog number three being the six-man tag number four would be hbk mankind and then number five is hbk Jarrett. seeing a lot of hbk on our uh in your house match lineup there i'm noticing so coincidentally coincidentally it is the mid 90s all right so i think that's going to do it for us 
on our next episode. We got a special episode coming up, guys. Uh, we're not actually looking at In Your House 11. We are going to skip In Your House 11 uh, because NXT is holding it in your house. Uh, pay-per-view, a, a takeover, if you will. And we are going to cover that. We're going to go uh, back to the future, a little uh, forecasting. Matt can take off his nostalgia goggles here. And we're just going to cover the NXT in your house. So, uh, you know, we, we are, I think it's because of us, they're doing it. You Very know, much. I, 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 would you agree with that? Uh, everyone? Yeah, I think so. So, uh, we're actually going to cover NXT in your house takeover. Is that the official name for it? And NXT takeover in your house. I believe now qu- question for you. If we, do we include this? I mean, we're covering it, but does it go into our top five and stuff? I would say no. No. I would say no as well. Okay. No, so we're all on the same page. Yeah, it's covered as, as a special one-off. I mean, if, if they do another one in, you know, I don't know, December or whatever, we can figure that out then. But for right now, it's a special. It's one-off. It, they're bringing the name back. We have to address it. We have to review it. I think it's going to be real interesting for our listeners that might not be as, as aware of things to for what NXT is for not having a crowd right now. There's so much that's different than the shows that we've been reviewing. And uh, this NXT in your house takeover will be available live on the WWE network. And then if you can't watch it live, it will just be on there. In Question. Is there a cinematic match on this card? Now I have a theory about this. Okay. Try and think the feuds right now. Um, my theory is there's going to be one cinematic match or, or segment or whatever you want to call it. And it will be Keith Lee in, and uh, Maya Yim showing up to the Gargano's house hmm. because they're doing the dinners at the Gargano's great hmm. segments, by the way. Fantastic. How great would that be though? Throwing him into Gargano's wrestling collection. <laughs> See, I'm picturing Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley having the cinematic match. I could see a rematch. What if I don't know? Their their one that was uh, empty arena was really good though at Mania. Yeah. What if the house Gargano is the actual original house that they gave away at that Syracuse paper? <laughs> How great would that be? Yeah, he's, I can't wait to see that set. They're gonna drag the set out. You know, he's the type it. of person that would buy that house too, just because of the wrestling history connection. And as far as I know, no one on NXT has a, a ring at home. Like we know edge does from his special. We know Matt Hardy ha- has a ring at home. We know a couple other people do, or in a gym, they own or something. As far as I know, no one that's currently on NXT has a ring like in their backyard or a garage or whatever. I may or may have not been looking up how much rings are. <laughs> Where would you put it? Well, yeah, I mean my apartment, I can't have it, but I'm just saying for future use. I think educator <laughs> might have a big enough yard for it. I think that's only one of the three of us. You can't put it in your stairwell. <laughs> <laughs> you can put all the pieces for it in stairwell. Yeah, that's true. That is true. All right. Uh, why don't we get out of here? Uh, educator, what do you want to say to the audience before we leave? I uh, just want to thank everybody for their opportunity and the time that they're spending with us, uh, reminiscing on uh, these pay-per-views from the past. 
Uh, I invite everybody to please, if you have not done so, how, why haven't you? Please peruse through the, natu- or the Retro Network and take a look at all the fantastic content that they have to offer between their postings, their articles, their podcasts. Uh, so much great stuff. Uh, for my two colleagues, I again appreciate this opportunity to uh, reminisce uh, and go through the history of what for us was our golden years of uh, time with wrestling and uh, the impact that it had on our fandom. And uh, I continue to look forward to working with you guys and uh, as we go through these projects together. Yeah, and I just want to say I'm still waiting for our $100 million to come in. So Retro Network, please uh, bring that to us. Um, you guys just were on a podcast talking about what you would do with all this millions of dollars. How about, uh, pay this podcast for, for all of our hard work. So, um, no, but in all seriousness, I want to thank the retro network, of course, for having us on. Uh, it has been fun to be part of their, uh, their first year of infancy, uh, coming up on their anniversary here. So, uh, that'll be fun. Uh, we look forward to talking to you guys next week with NXT takeover. Uh, of course you can find me on Twitter at Maddie treats, um, and that is all I have, and I'm going to pass it over to the Mass Library, Kevin Hellions, to take us home. All right. Thank you to my co-host. Thank you to Richard Reader for our logo. Thank you to Retro Network for hosting us. Thank you to WWE Network for providing all this content here. Uh, you can find me across the internet at Mass Library. We will have official house show with social media coming up soon. And... Uh, I just want to say that I think this show and our partnership and everything we've been going is a better way to end than showing off your heart-shaped butt tattoo like Shawn Michaels. I actually got a heart-shaped butt tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) It says Elise. (laughs) Boom. Oh, wow. Shots fired. (laughs) 